Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Zero Dhai Educate. In this episode, we have a really really special guest. We caught up with Mr. Prashant Jain, a market veteran and the first fund manager in India to manage a single fund scheme for over 25 years. Prashant has pretty much seen most of the cycles in the Indian market. In this wide-ranging conversation, Prashant speaks about his journey into the markets, his research and investment philosophy, the evolution of Indian markets using macros in investing, current market valuations and much more. The number of insights that Prashant shared were tremendous. Please enjoy this conversation with Prashant. Prashant, given the amazing journey you've had in the fund management industry, uh, I wanted to start at the beginning and talk a little about you and how your journey got started. How did you get like started in the world of finance? I remember you saying once that um, you had cleared the civil services examinations. How did that happen? How did you like switch to finance then? Well, that's a long story, and I well, I don't think it will going into that here. But uh, suffice to say, my journey, uh, my entry into this world was a uh, was an accident, and uh, it is also interesting to note that. Way back in early 90s, uh, this was equities was not a preferred career. So actually, in many ways, people were worried about uh, being in equities. And I was the last one to join SPI mutual fund in my batch. And my senior, he very apologetically said, "Son, I am extremely sorry, but all I can offer you is equity research." So you can imagine that. equities was not a preferred option of course times have changed and i was fortunate that the way markets have evolved and the way this career this industry has evolved i think my experience also highlights the role that uh, destiny plays in our lives uh, speaking about the role destiny plays uh, prashant I mean, you've been in the fund management industry for 26, 27 years, which is probably my entire existence on this planet. And um, when you got started, um, the Indian GDP was about 30 billion in 1994, and it, it it has like grown at about eight, eight and a half percent. Is it like all destiny? Uh, did you like see this at the beginning of your career? Because uh, your job as a fund manager is largely dependent on the Indian growth story as well. You somewhat bet on it. Well, uh, uh, it's very interesting you ask this uh, question. Way back uh, in a campus at I am Bangalore, me and some of my colleagues used to discuss that India has a great uh, future, and those of us who had decided to make our careers in India, we would jokingly say that Khadola yehi bichega means. I am staying put in this country. Of course, demographics uh, and you know, na- uh, rich in natural resources, skilled manpower, these work to India's advantages. I think what really accelerated things was the crisis, payments balance of payments crisis, which forced reforms onto us. And around the same time, it coincided. With you know the world becoming uh, connected, and that is what unleashed the potential of skilled and cost-competitive manpower 
and that is because i think software industry uh india would not be where we are today without this industry today it accounts for almost i think 5% of india's gdp but software industry has given respectable wages to most educated uh, people which was not the case in early 90s so i think this industry has uh, helped the economy grow much faster and bring us where we are to Um, also, when you were starting out, the mm-hmm. Indian market was still pretty new, and uh, maybe at that point, electronic trading was like just getting started. So, uh, this question is around that: How have you seen the type of companies, the market participants, like the general industry, grow and evolve ever since uh, you started your career? Really, with I have been in these markets for now exactly 30 years. Actually, this May I complete uh, 30, and a lot has changed in these uh, 30 years. And those were the times when you wanted to find the price. It would take 10-15 minutes for someone to revert with the price because someone will go to the ring physically and back. I think we have come a very very long way from those uh, times. I remember so people used to struggle filling up the transfer forms, those physical uh, shares, etc. I think uh, information. We used to spend a lot of time those days just gathering information. I have one interesting anecdote. We would go to these, uh, you know, rattiwalas, and uh, outside the stock exchange and buy annual reports by the kgs. Bring them to office and sort them because even getting annual report was pretty difficult. <laughs> then of course uh, i think as uh, internet email things started getting digitized information availability became easier as foreign brokerages came into the country as the corporate governance in india has improved transparency levels have improved health side research has gone up quarterly calls analyst meets i think today uh, when i look back i think the uh, we have a information overload and it is hard to digest uh, so much uh, information and at times i feel that sometimes we lose sight of the core because there is so much uh, information but as far as the market psychology is concerned i think the emotions of fear and greed and hope in investors uh, uh, that remains exactly the the information advantage is clearly gone i think now the advantage will come from your ability to understand the business to maybe and have a better view on the future and from a, maybe i think thinking longer term will continue to uh, give an edge so there are many ways to be successful in these uh, prashant since since you spoke about how like uh, the new edge right now will not be information anymore it will be how to analyze a business and how it's working and um, where it should be valued probably uh, let's talk a little about that so uh, on the research process like that uh, you have formulated and you have perfected over the three decades of your work uh, you've bought and sold great businesses uh, like and maybe you've also bought and sold some not so great businesses but during like this journey how have you figured what uh, a good business is worth uh, when you're buying it and um, how how would you summarize your philosophy your investment philosophy 
if you believe in like ascribing labels to it i think whatever i speak will be for my uh, in my individual capacity because as a firm uh, i don't think we have a particular style in the uh, each of the managers have the freedom to construct the portfolios the way they deem fit i think uh, uh, and i made many mistakes and therefore i am probably a little wiser today and what i have learned is that sustainability of a business is the key sustainability comes from competitive advantages of course as uh, technology is changing as it impacts almost every business around uh, you have to be constantly reviewing whether the sustainability is still uh, intact i think that is the key the second issue is that you want to be in businesses where the environments are uh, at least reasonable not uh, great and you get a fair treatment minority shareholders this is less of a challenge uh, increasingly in my opinion and i think finally when it comes to investing it uh, improves your chances of success you are in growing uh, businesses but i think there is uh, and i think up till now almost uh, most industry participants will agree on these two or three parameters the difference in investing approach comes from what are your time horizons uh, and uh, uh, how much are you willing to pay for a particular business particular quality and with some good prospects and there based on my experience way back in early 91 92 when i saw a whole lot of uh, uh, permanent damage to wealth severe damage to wealth because businesses were uh, overvalued and with hindsight it is very easy to say it because markets then were trading almost 40 times the people start getting worried at 20x but uh, i think uh, right then it was very difficult to figure that out but it caused massive permanent damage to wealth i think that has stayed with me and i maintain a sharp focus on what do you want to pay in my experience uh, a great business need not be a great investment if the price is uh, wrong i will give you i can give you any number of examples but let me give you one or two examples here what uh, technology in early in late 90s early 2000 uh, it was not a good investment and even over very long holding periods and these businesses have grown virtually every single year since uh, then because the growth was implied by the valuations was far more than the actual uh, i think one there is also in investing i mean there are two types of risk one is the business doing badly two the business doing okay but the growth not being up to the implied valuations and therefore the investment going bad i tend to maintain an equal uh, focus on prashant when looking at the valuations of Uh, a company um, how, how do you exactly like uh, know if uh, a company is overvalued is there a like quantitative uh, metric you're using every single time is it like a 
spectrum of things that you're looking at if you could like elaborate on that i think no that's an excellent question and uh, investing in that's why both considered to be an art and a science i think we are dealing with uncertainty we are dealing with future and even the monuments themselves don't know what the growth is likely to be for a business and i think there are a whole lot of examples where the monuments either they were too optimistic or actually they achieved far more than what they thought they were. i think it is and that's what makes this business both uh, challenging and exciting <clears throat> the way i go around doing it is to build scenarios and assume uh, what is the risk reward in different uh, scenarios and you also look at uh, what is the implied growth rates and how realistic are those uh, growth rates and let me give you an example here once again technology it was about 1% of india's gdp way back in 2000 but it was nearly 40% of india's market cap and our thought was that those 80 100% growth rates there was no way they could sustain because if those growth rates had sustained technology would have become very soon 10 15% of india's uh, gdp keep on growing uh, 100% a year 80% a year the moment you do that your currency would have appreciated extremely fast so even if dollar revenue grew profitability would not hold because the country would move to a balance of accounts uh, sir i think it was this very simple logic which told you that the implied growth rates we don't know uh, what actually would happen but the odds were not supporting that uh, logic that is how i mean there have been few other cases like this but let me leave it at uh, that prashant uh, this takes us back to the first point that you had mentioned when uh, uh, like looking at uh, the business and analyzing it uh, you said that even though uh, information is readily available right now uh, there has to be constant analysis of it so maybe what you were doing at that point was analyzing it to a degree to find that the valuation was not justified uh, one one more uh, thing you had mentioned was uh, that the management uh, plays a very vital role and you've got to invest in companies with with a good management uh, in place how do you figure that if a management is good or not i mean is there like a thumb rule for it is there like a way to adjust it uh, apart from just uh, let's say your opinion on it i may say on a right way and see assessing people is extremely tough and many people realize that once they marry right but, uh, it is not uh, easy and we go a lot by the track record but uh, i would uh, i mean while people are extremely important there is no denying that but i think the importance of the environment also cannot be because uh, when if you look at the technology space it has created huge number of uh, successful entrepreneurs yeah uh, you don't to say that all of them suddenly were extremely skilled i think the environment played a extremely important role but of course those who are more competent or a little more lucky i would say your approach work they have achieved greater success i would say when it comes to assessing people 
uh, it is important, but not at the cost of a difficult environment. And our funds have uh, underperformed for some time because the environment was not conducive to what we were. Uh, but to answer your point in brief, it's basically the track record, the actions, the reputation in the marketplace. You go out and check if necessary with the ex-employees, with the dealers, with competitors, peers, regulators. So I think uh, that is what is a reasonably good guide. So this in-depth framework, Prashant, that you uh, like guided, guided us through, um, how long did it take for you to like make it? Are you still like tweaking it? Are you still working upon it? I'm sure like all aspiring aspirants, like um, analysts and fund managers right now would want to uh, like know this from you. I think uh, I, we, I started off very badly. Uh, and uh, when we, I still remember some of the funds that we still run. Uh, first, we lost almost 40-50% of the NAVs in uh, around 94-95. That is when we realized that the mistake we had done was we invested in less sustainable businesses. The moment the environment became slightly tough, many of these businesses uh, sharply underperformed. But we realized it, we cut our losses, and by and large, since then, we have endeavored not to repeat the mistake. I think uh, we continue to learn, I continue to learn, and the mistakes made in the uh, last few years, again, uh, prove that even after uh, three decades, we still make mistakes and there is still scope to learn. The aspiring managers, professionals, I would say, that listen to everyone, uh, think about, keep an open mind, uh, be open to ideas, but uh, do what you think is uh, right and each one should evolve their own uh, styles. Because in my experience, uh, there are many ways to be successful. Krishan, how do you and your team go about filtering and shortlisting stocks? You mentioned that um, like each one in your team might have a different method to like uh, filter stocks and uh, like go about analyzing a business. But uh, what is the general process like? Like where would a fund manager start and uh, like what does it go through? Where does it end? How does he make the call? I represent a large uh, fund house and therefore the we have something called the, our research universe companies on which we have internal research available models of That number is a fairly large number, around 400 odd uh, companies. These are companies we believe uh, they are above a certain minimum threshold US quality and uh, management quality. And therefore, uh, we believe that is our investment universe. Beyond that, the, I mean, this research on these 400 odd companies is available to the all the portfolio managers. They are free to construct the portfolios in line with the you know the offer documents, the regulations, and I must add that the regulations today uh, define uh, fairly objectively and fairly well uh, the various uh, forms. I think uh, these are fairly clear-cut 
positions that respective funds have, and the PMs would construct portfolios aligned with uh, that mandate. Uh, so, Krishan, let's see now that you've uh, gotten this research uh, report uh, with you and uh, you've selected the stocks that you want to be picking for your portfolio uh, for the scheme that you are managing. Uh, once that is done, how do you like put these businesses together in the portfolio? Uh, like the diversification, how much concentration uh, in a company, the weight, the sizing of the bet essentially. And does the fact that a large number of investors tend to be like retail investors, does that influence uh, how the portfolio is constructed in any way? So since a large number of investors tend to be retail investors, does that uh, influence the portfolio construction in any way or uh, that won't change regardless of uh, who the investor is in the scheme? So I guess portfolio construction is would vary from individual to individual. Of course, I mean, I'm assuming for the same type of uh, mandate. And I think there are two broad or basic uh, variants uh, uh, here. One is, as you said, the degree of concentration. The second would be how much benchmark risk are you willing to take? Three is, you know, uh, are you seeking value or are you seeking uh, what is currently in uh, favor? And some people would uh, adopt a blend of uh, these two. I think there is nothing right or wrong uh, in this. As long as you abide by the regulations, I think it is what the individual portfolio managers think is right and what is their individual preference or liking or style. As far as the question of retail investors is concerned, in my experience, and this is my uh, uh, own opinion, I think it would be wrong to say that uh, retail investors are not uh, long-term investors. Uh, over uh, years, I have seen that India is such a large uh, country and equities is still a relatively young asset class. And therefore, you will find a whole spectrum of uh, investors uh, there. Some who are mature, who understand equities, who are there for the long term. And some who are still, you know, learning the ropes and kind of putting uh, things around. So, I mean, so again, I would come back and say it would be extremely difficult meet in any portfolio these very different uh, expectations. <clears throat> I would come around and say let people evolve their own styles and over time you will, investors would know better what to expect from a particular manager or from a particular style. If uh, there are so many funds, so many styles available, over time I think investors would choose what is in their best uh, uh, Prashant, you had mentioned that when you started out, uh, your team had like uh, made a misjudgment and quickly, uh, like you realized uh, what had gone wrong. You um, uh, did not like you made sure that you did not repeat the same mistake again at least. So, um, like, if somebody is uh, making uh, a loss uh, in their portfolio or has made a bad investment in a sector or a stock or just like because of the macro environment, 
like how do they know when to get out of it um, what would that journey be like um, is there a, a, a framework around uh, that that fund managers can really follow the frameworks are simple but putting them into practice is very difficult because uh, when what appears reasonable today may might appear unreasonable tomorrow because the business outlook the environment or the opportunities that may change but very broadly speaking uh, i think mistakes uh, would come from uh, two or three broad areas one is the whole markets have gone down and uh, lead to some temporary losses but over time we have seen that the index moves uh, higher uh, in line with the nominal gdp growth so i think if you wait it out that could correct itself the second is uh, if the business fundamentals have deteriorated and there are, i mean there could be a situation where the deterioration is temporary let's say the large corporate banks the environment was extremely difficult and we were hoping the npas will resolve in one year or two years but it took three or four years but you know the business is strong enough to weather this and this environment will improve over time we take three instead of one but i think it is reasonable uh, view in such cases i think it would make sense to wait it out i have seen in many cases you don't earn anything for 5 6 uh, 7 years but suddenly the next one or two years make up for the entire uh, holding uh, period on the other hand if the deterioration in fundamentals is such that it is hard for the business to recover then i think it is uh, it would make sense to uh, you know move out of that space and here i have learned the hard way and the last few years in the difficult environment one mistake what we made i made was that you were hoping that the leverage businesses would come out of the difficult environment but but they were not able to do it either the companies went bankrupt or the you know equity cap was directed sharp i think uh, if you are merging financial risk and adverse business environment one should be really uh i think the third source of mistakes would be from overpaying for a business business is doing well but the cycle has changed and the what was a preferred sector until yesterday is now giving way to something else here i think it would uh, make sense to revisit the valuations because it is no more a uh, you know preferred sector so i guess uh, objectively one should evaluate that at the current prices the business uh, the valuations make sense if yes one should hold on if no and i think we should at least much explore but as i said earlier there are no hard and fast uh, rules and we are dealing with uncertainty business uncertainty environment uncertainty markets uncertainty probably i think this is what i would like to uh, prashant you mentioned that uh, in terms of the macro economic uh, mistakes that can happen um even generally uh, what are your thoughts on using uh, macroeconomic inputs like in the entire uh, stock or sector or even like uh, uh, 
macroeconomic like timing selection process um, how uh, like much how big of a factor would that be i think it's an important factor and uh, top down uh, does influence uh, business conditions as i emphasized earlier that the environment plays a very important role in the of the businesses the challenge is that it's very hard to forecast uh, macroeconomic uh, condition time and again i have seen that it is past uh, so i think uh, uh, but i think it is relatively easier to understand the current environment in which uh, one is the that is not good enough at times for investing because the i mean the markets also discount the current environment extremely fast what is uh, known the really good opportunity is come your way uh when markets are really pessimistic about some businesses and that is when you are hoping for some change i think top down is uh, good to know but i think one needs to go a little more than that for time you must have also seen that most forecasts are uh very close to the current uh, readings like in the inflation is now moving up the inflationary forecast will uh, keep on moving up but and i am not complaining here because these are extremely difficult uh, forecasts to make because the number of variables that will go into inflation would be simply too large for anyone to comprehend and put together a reliable framework past uh, the environment is extremely dynamic the currency is dynamic global commodities are uh, dynamic global interest rates are dynamic i would say to my mind this in my limited understanding plays some role but it is not extremely important prashant you spoke about like looking at the um, macroeconomic data and then figuring out the opportunities Uh, speaking of the opportunities do, do you think that the uh, at least our markets are very shallow in terms of the opportunities that uh, everyone like the mutual funds uh, pms uh, teams uh, aif everybody speak pro- broadly to the top 200 250 stocks and isn't that like a very limited pool of companies uh, in your opinion i would mohit and say in fact just the opposite compared to the other ems and india has one of the most diverse set uh, of sectors and stocks that are listed uh, i just mentioned to you that we ourselves cover 400 uh, companies yes when uh, 70 companies account for two thirds of the market cap some commonality in portfolios is inevitable uh, and that's how the benchmarks are also I would say India offers a very wide gamut of sectors, companies, and market capitalizations invest in, and to that extent, it is a very exciting and a very challenging uh, place to make a career in. Uh, Prashant, adding to that uh, opportunity set question, um, so since like. a new company to invest in would generally come via the way of an ipo um in the 
like past five ten years, if you take away the recent Burton IPOs, there haven't been like a lot of noteworthy IPOs that have come our way. Now, um, do you think the markets are growing at an acceptable pace, or have been growing at an acceptable pace? And if not, then what do you think needs to be done to push more homegrown companies uh, to IPO? What you are saying is, uh, I don't think I would agree entirely with that. And I am again saying from memory, late 90s, early 2000s, I think our research coverage used to be around 140 companies. And today we are at uh, 400 companies. We have seen a reasonably steady growth uh, there. And uh, the listing, uh, more listings are a function of how well the economy is doing and how well the capital markets are doing. And when would an entrepreneur want to list uh, either when you need capital or when the valuations are uh, uh, attractive for someone to dilute? I think, uh, and this is an ongoing uh, process. I am quite happy, I am quite satisfied with the pace with which we have evolved. And I think the future is actually much uh, better because uh, uh, one, the globally interest rates are extremely low. That, that means that we should continue to be fairly large recipients of capital and given the venture funding that is available nowadays, I think a large number of startups will evolve and some or many of these will eventually uh, list. I think the second set of opportunities coming from the man, uh, being a part of the manufacturing supply chain. China, as we know, uh, the manufacturing supply chain is shifting steadily out of uh, China. India, I think, is extremely well-placed to get a good share of that. The government is firmly behind uh, making this uh, happen. And this whole PLI scheme, uh, I think, is an uh, extremely important step in that uh, direction. This opportunity is so large that it can pull up India's GDP growth rates by 1% to 2%. So I think going forward to uh, summarize, we should continue to see uh, new companies come into the markets, both in the service and in the manufacturing. Uh, Prashant, you mentioned that uh, you see a growth in GDP of one to two percent. Uh, like, if you had to take a call, I mean, I know prediction is like very difficult in uh, the markets, and um, just like a general um, uh, understanding of how optimistic you are on the India growth story. If you had to put a number on it, like uh, a, a range maybe, over the next 10 years, how much uh, our GDP would grow, uh, what would that number be? Well, this is extremely difficult to forecast. Even one-year forecasts are difficult. I think for an investor, it is more relevant to take a right view of the uh, direction. I think I am very optimistic on the... Uh, direction uh, from the same two or three reasons. One, the globally interest rates are so low, huge amount of capital wanting a place to get invested. And India offers good opportunities both on the infra side and on the startup uh, side, apart from the capital market. 
and uh, India can absorb large amounts of capital to develop infrastructure. Given the low cost, uh, this is fairly good capital, long-term capital. That is one source of uh, growth. The second is, as I said, the manufacturing outsourcing opportunities opening up for India to aid growth rates. And apart from this, when this happens, of course, we have more incomes and consumption should continue to If I were to put a number, I mean, I would say our growth next 10 years should be higher than the last 10 years, uh, assuming, assuming that uh, globally interest rates don't move up too sharply or too And one thing I think we should not forget, the reforms momentum that India is experiencing now is probably the best uh, after early 90s. And seeing this project, the word used was privatization. Earlier, we used to uh, refer to it as divestment. Now we are saying boldly privatization. I think in that one word, it tells you a lot uh, for those uh, who are able to read into it, the focus on reforms. And I think it is extremely timely because the external environment both the manufacturing opportunity and the low cost of capital is uh, very conducive. Prashant, I also want to get your thoughts on some broad narratives that are currently relevant in the market. Uh, you spoke about how um, the entire like valuation um, of the IT space was very expensive in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, uh, like... Around that mostly, right now, uh, there's this uh, narrative of quality at any price. And uh, a lot of people are getting on that bandwagon right now. Uh, some people think that um, certain co- good quality companies will always trade at a very high premium multiples. And uh, maybe for the past few years, they have been. Um, at like what point do you like uh, take a step back and relook? At what's happening? Uh, is there uh, some guidance you could like throw uh, on this space at, at this current moment? Well, one, I think uh, whenever a stock trades, there is a buyer and there is a seller. Behind every trade, there is a buyer and there is a seller. The information available with both of them is the same. The environment is the same. The price is the same. The time is also the same. The only difference is the view what you take of the investment and of the future. I think stock markets thrive on diversity of opinion. And I'm saying this to emphasize that whatever I say is my opinion. And when I mean, I don't know whether only time will say whether it is right or or wrong. Uh, With that disclaimer, to my mind, uh, as I have said earlier, a good company could turn out to be not a good investment at the price. And I also observe that most excesses, rather every excess has been created when the majority thinks alike. The majority is seldom right in stock market. Of course, it takes time for the majority to be proved wrong. But eventually, if that opinion was wrong, then the majority will be 
wrong and that i think is a very basic difference between uh, elections and uh, a party and it industry we have discussed that uh, how the majority was wrong not just on what they bought but also on what they sold because between 2000 to 2007 the entire old economy delivered phenomenal returns and they were the most hated uh, sectors in early uh, around 2007-8 infra companies real estate companies nbfcs were uh, the most favored and you know what happened uh, subsequently time you may find this hard to believe given the today's environment the consumer companies which people today say are quality at any price it's a good investment they were not the preferred investment because the environment was quite different the pharma companies were not very i think uh, the long term uh, i mean and the definition of long term in markets is longer then the investment horizons of most investors or the uh, time for which we can bear a pain the markets long term is longer than that but over long term i think uh, markets are perfect and prices will move towards eventually uh, what they what are the right prices i must also add that the current extremely low cost of capital support quite high multiples for businesses in which you are confident of growth for many many years so one risk to the approach also apart from the growth rates one risk also is the any potential increase in the cost of capital So the moment you are buying a business at fifty, seventy, hundred p multiple, cost of capital moves up by one or two percent. It can be quite difficult for that uh, investment. The, there is one more issue here, and that is unique to India. If the multiples are high and backed by decent growth. is justifiable because over time when you may buy a 50p 70p company if the growth is healthy enough over time that multiples look reasonable only the challenge is that and i think this is more applicable for the consumer oriented companies they these are not technology companies they are growing at fairly uh, a modest uh, growth rates look at the last 10 years some of the companies which are trading at very high multiples both rates are not uh, able to justify the current uh, so i think last few years one the interest rates were low and two there was scarcity of earnings growth most of the uh, sectors because of various challenges in the environment i think as we move ahead as uh, cost of capital has uh, is low liquidity is good the uh, asset quality pains are behind us and profit growth is becoming more uh, broad based i think that is one more factor to keep in mind that this high uh, multiples or not as high growth rates may become less attractive appealing when growth is available in other pockets as well at much deeper uh, 
Prashant, you mentioned that uh, whenever there's a buyer-sell transaction happening, there's a buyer and there's a seller, and both of these people, with uh, the information they have, they have opinions. Um, now, uh, like something uh, tangential to that, um, in terms of the style of investing, so uh, let's say in the past few years, people have been uh, debating whether um, active or passive uh, investing is more fruitful. As an AMC, uh, like at HDFC um, MFU, have a few passive funds, even though like you're predominantly active oriented. Uh, how do you think about this debate, like personally, and what do you think investors should think about it? Well, I don't think there is any uh, debate here. It is not an election that you wait, you can vote for only one party. It is not like that. It's like going to a restaurant and you can, in a thali, you can eat three, five, seven dishes. So I think there is space for both. The real issue here, I think, is the extremely low ownership of equities in the Indian households' balance sheets. And I think that's the real uh, opportunity here. And uh, the, uh, But it's a fact that in the last few years, uh, many active managers have struggled against the benchmarks. The reason for that is not uh, hard to seek. If you look at the returns of Nifty in calendar 18, 19, and 20, just five stocks each year delivered between 80 to 140 percent of the Nifty returns in each of these three years. Mutual fund portfolios, by definition, are uh, far uh, broad based. And therefore, this was an environment which was not conducive for the active manager. As markets become more broad-based, I think active managers should be able to improve their performance. But uh, I think the only time will tell uh, whether actives are able to outperform and if they are able to, how many and with what, uh, you know, degree. So, but in the meanwhile, I think investors can invest where they uh, feel like. And I think the real the gap between active and passive, even if a fund does not do well, how much is it? It is quite small compared to the difference between equities as an asset class and bonds, for example. I think the real issue, the real debate is to encourage investors to improve their asset allocation towards equities based on their individual risk or appetite. So I don't look upon this as a debate at all. If actives outperform, they will grow. If they don't, they will grow less or maybe not grow. Who knows? Only time they will answer. Prashant, another like, major worry right at this point, and we've spoken about this briefly, is um, like valuations. And by some measure, people seem to think that the Indian markets right now might be overvalued. Uh, global markets, particularly the US, uh, might, like to some people, uh, seem to be in a bubble as well. Um, so there are some global uh, inflation worries and maybe domestic as well. Uh, how do you think about this at the moment? And uh, do you think that these broad uh, like measures are uh, somewhat misleading? Let me... Uh, limit my comments to Indian markets because uh, hard for me to, you know, with confidence on 
markets outside India. But uh, for the two reasons, one, cost of capital has very important to markets outside India because it's extremely low. And two, the technology companies which have done well and are responsible for the aggregate valuations outside, it's hard to take a view how long, how much they can and whether new tax rates or uh, new regulations could affect them. So let me not get into that. In coming to Indian markets, these markets to my mind are uh, fairly valued. And I'm not saying fairly valued to avoid answering it. I genuinely believe they are close to fair value. If you look at the last 10-15 year returns of the Nifty, is around 10-11%. Asia. That is in line with the nominal GDP growth rates. That tells you that markets are not delivered excessive returns. And it is not that they have delivered mid-single-digit returns also. Look at markets cap to GDP. Again, the current market cap to GDP is near long-term uh, averages last 10-15 years. I think some people, they get a sense markets are expensive because they are looking at trailing multiple. Please bear in mind that India's profits to GDP was near 8% in 2008 and it fell to a low of 2% I think two years back. Now when profit, that 8% was an aberration and this 2% also was an aberration. When the businesses are making suboptimal profits, the PE multiple is not the best of indicators. I think market cap GDP is a more reliable indicator and which is indicating fair valuations. If you have to look at P multiples for one or two year forward P multiples, that again are suggesting reasonable multiples, especially given the current low costs of. I think Indian markets broadly are fairly valued and they should track the nominal GDP growth rates over the next few the medium to long term. Inflation, I don't think, is too much of a worry for equities because moderate degrees of inflation are, I mean, equities are a hedge against inflation. What is inflation? It is companies increasing prices. So, equities uh, give you real returns equal to real growth, and inflation is a pass through. But of course, excessive inflation can be adverse, but I don't think. We are expecting that. Uh, Prashant, uh, a slightly different question now, like away from uh, what we have spoken so far. Um, what would your advice be to somebody who wants to be an analyst, a portfolio manager, or a fund manager? It is. I think this career has, uh, uh, as I mentioned to you, I came into this as an accident. I had absolutely no prior knowledge or anything. I think don't get carried by uh, you know, uh, if you are making a career choice, look at the average outcomes. Many people move into cricket or uh, you know media because they are looking at exceptional outlier outcomes. I think to judge the real merits of a career, you must look at the average. And let me not say more than that. I would, I mean. All I would say is the average outcome here is good, but the variability is much, uh, one should be prepared for. 
Prashant, a little bit about you before we conclude. So how, how do you personally invest? What is your personal investment philosophy? I'm sure like you must have had your fair share of mistakes also, and we've talked, maybe spoken about a few. Uh, what have you learned over the years? It's a really simple, Mohit, and I have kept life extremely simple personally. So I have last two decades, all my money is in my own. By and large, I have been uh, significantly overweight uh, equities. I've had very limited investments in old real estate or fixed income, but I would not recommend that to everyone. And because personally, I have been extremely patient and extremely tolerant to volatility. I think uh, before asset allocation is the key for any investor. And it is a function of one's individual tolerance for volatility and uh, time. Prashant, are there any investors who you admire and uh, who you look up to? A lot of them. And both I learn from everyone. Or at least I try to learn from everyone. I think almost everyone around you has the ability to teach something to you if you are in a mood to observe and uh, listen. So it's a very long list of uh, people uh, and I've learned from many, many people. I genuinely think that. Uh, let me not take any names, but of course, uh, all the famous names were up there and many more who are not commonly known, who are not well known, learn from a whole lot of. Could, could you name a few books for us, like some books that you uh, enjoy reading or investing that you've learned from? I think uh, one, I've read many books and I don't have a great memory about uh, names. So let me still try and uh, suggest some names. Uh, there's one book by Peter Bevelin, uh, All I Want to Know Where I'm Going to Die that I never go there. I think it's a very good book, both for investors and non-investors. Uh, there is another one, The Most Important Thing by Howard Marks. I learned a lot. Very simple book, but really good. I think uh, there is, uh, which is that famous book by Talib, uh, Fooled by Randomness. I think it's a very powerful, very simple uh, book. And uh, I think Morgan Housel recently wrote a book, The Psychology of Money. That is a book which uh, all of us should read. It tells you a lot about life and also about uh, investing. How to strike a good balance between the two. I think it's a very good book for even those who are not wanting to make a career in. Thank you, Prashant. Thank you for doing this with us. I mean, there were lots of takeaways for me personally, at least, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this, watching this, they have a lot of takeaways as well. Thank you. Pleasure. Huh? Thank you. Thank, thank you for doing okay. this. Okay. Views expressed are personal and based on current market conditions. Actual events or results may differ. Returns are not assured. Listeners should take professional advice before investing. This is not a solicitation or investment advice to buy or sell any scheme or any security under any sector. Sectors mentioned are for illustrative purposes only. Mutual fund investments are subject to market risks. Read all scheme-related documents carefully. <music>